0: Well, good morning again, everybody. I'm so glad you're here on this Sunday before Christmas. Thank you so much for worshiping the Lord through song, and now let's worship through the Word, shall we? If you have not done so already, let me invite you to take your listening outline from your worship guide, or go to the Ingleside app and hit the notes button. You'll find the outline there, and open your Bibles, if you would, to the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. And in just a moment, we're going to look at a portion of the Christmas story from Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, in a message that I've entitled this morning, Lessons from the Birth of Jesus. Now, as we're preparing to hear the Word, I just want to offer a warm, warm welcome to everyone who's joining on the live stream today. I'm glad you're listening in and participating in this service, as well as those of you who are joining on TV. We're really glad that you're a part of this service today as well. And for everyone, I just want to note, I hope you're still in the chapter a day journey. And if you're not in that yet, pull out your phone, text the word chapter to 22828. You'll be able to sign up with your email address. And this Christmas season, even as we are celebrating the birth of Christ, we're reading through the book of Revelation, the final book of the Bible. that reminds us there are still chapters yet to come in our redemption story, particularly when Jesus comes again at the end of the age. So, I hope you'll sign up and you'll be a part of that journey. Now, in just a moment, we're going to read the scripture together. But before we do, y'all, I just have to celebrate what occurred here at Ingleside last weekend in our Christmas musical presentation called, He Brings Joy. Last weekend, by our best count, we welcomed 9,994 people to Ingleside. Isn't that a great thing? They heard the gospel and uh, some responded by repenting and believing. Others heard the gospel for the first time. Some renewed commitments to Christ. Some of you may be here today or you may be watching on the live stream or TV because someone invited you last weekend. And we hope that you'll come back again and make this your every week place to worship. I'm so grateful for Pastor Jonathan, for our worship arts team who led the way, and literally for hundreds of volunteers from the parking lot to our ushers and greeters, those in the cafe cafe and bookstore, those on our hospitality and security teams, those who worked in child care areas. You know, when you throw a party for 10,000 of your closest friends... It takes a few people to help pull that off. And I am so, so grateful for everyone's investment in that. And we'll only see the fruit of that investment in eternity, I'm convinced. I know the Lord was pleased. Well. Let's turn our attention now uh, to a portion of God's Word in Matthew chapter 1 that narrates to us something about the birth of Christ. You're going to see uh, the scripture on your outline. It will also be on the screen. I'm going to read the even-numbered verses, the lighter print, and then I want you to join me in reading the odd-numbered verses, the highlighted print we will all read together. So, uh, on this Sunday before Christmas, let's read God's Word together. Here's what the Bible says. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Join me now. Is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And may the Lord add his blessing to our reading and hearing of his word. You know, if you've been a part of church for a while, this is a very uh, familiar passage. If you're new to church or new back to church or new to the Bible, this may be a new passage to you regardless of whether it's familiar or whether it's new. As I read this passage this week, several lessons just jumped off the page at me. I want you to see a handful or more of sort of the secondary but important lessons, and then before we're done, I want you to see with me the main lesson, I think, that God would have us take from this portion of his word. So do you have a pen in hand? I want you to write it in. The first big lesson that I see in this passage, its number one, page two of your outline, it is a lesson about marriage, a lesson about marriage that I see in this passage. Now, some of you would say, well, Pastor Tim, where do you see that? Well, look in that very first verse, verse 18. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. And after that introductory statement, what's the very next thing that's talked about. It's, it's marriage. It says, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So in other words, the Bible says, Mary and Joseph were betrothed. They were on the way to marriage, but they weren't married yet. Now, if you're not familiar with that word betrothed, it is somewhat equivalent to our word engaged. In other words, Mary and Joseph were pledged to one another, they were committed to one another but they had not yet become married they weren't living together as husband and wife. In fact in the ancient world around this time the the marriage protocol was a formal legally binding engagement called betrothal. In fact in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy it treats a betrothed woman and the man that she's to marry as if they are already legally husband and wife. Usually, after the betrothal, uh, the young woman would still live in the home of her parents for, say, another year, and then the wedding would come, and when the wedding came, well, the groom would go to get her and bring her back to the home he had prepared, and there would be a great celebration of a marriage. Well, Mary and Joseph were betrothed, they were formally committed, they were engaged, but they were not yet married. But it, it sort of says to me the entirety of the story of Jesus' birth is wrapped up in this emphasis that we see here and elsewhere in Scripture on the value, the honor, the beauty, the God-pleasing nature. Of marriage, of course, you can honor God as a single person, and uh, we would not say otherwise than that, but for most people, God intends for them to be married and for that marriage to honor him. You know, I've done a lot of wedding ceremonies across the years. I bet you've been to a lot, too. And Have you ever noticed in a wedding ceremony that it seems like there are two sets of vows? Have you ever noticed that that occurs? There's one that occurs early on in the ceremony. And it's called an engagement vow or a declaration of intent. It's the question to which the bride and groom usually respond. I will or I do. And then later on their vows that they actually repeat. You say, well, how did that ever occur? Why did that happen? Well, it is the conflation of what used to be Two different ceremonies. It used to be that the bride and groom would come to the church, gather their family and friends, and say and respond to the engagement vow. And then, a year later, they would gather and say their vows as they became husband and wife. After a while, families decided it was a little too much to have two different ceremonies. So in the Old South, anyway, what they would do is the pastor would meet them out on the front steps of the church and say, do you intend to be married? And they would say, I do. And then they would come inside and have the deal. And then that seemed a little awkward. So then he began to meet them at the back of the aisle. And now we've moved it all the way down to the front. And now we ask him the engagement vow and then walk up on the platform, and there you have it. It's sort of what behind our marriage ceremonies. You know, as I was looking at this, I was reminded that Jesus, when he grew up and became our teacher, he spoke clearly about marriage. I put it on your outline. Do you see it? It's Matthew 19. He answered when asked a question about divorce and marriage. Have you not read? That he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. That's a quote from Genesis 1:27, and said therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast. The old King James version word there is cleave. He will leave his father and mother and cleave or hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two. By the way, that was a quote from Genesis 2:24. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. And so we see even in the Christmas story uh, a foreshadowing of the importance that Jesus gave to marriage. Now, you know, I... In just a moment, I want to recognize and celebrate those who've been married a long time in this room on this Sunday before Christmas. Before I do, though, I I just have to say this. Last week, I, I read a statement about marriage and its longevity and how you feel about it. It said, marriage is like a deck of cards. At the beginning, all you need is two hearts and one diamond. It said, by the end, though, you may wish you had a club and a spade. And I thought, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. It's sort of like the fellow who was asked how long you had been married. And he said, well, we've been happily married for 32 years out of a total of 35. And I thought, yeah, that's sort of it. Uh, that's honest that's the way it ought to be so i don't know can we bring the house lights up i'd love for everybody in the room uh who has been married uh 10 years or more to just stand up right now with me everybody in the room who's been married 10 years or more would you just stand up around the room okay great man look at this That's a good thing, I celebrate that. All right, we're gonna do a little process of elimination here. Now, these are the 10-year married folks, it's a great marker. How about those who've been married 20 years, stay standing if you would. Those of you who've been married 20 years, would you stay standing? Okay, a few folks are sitting down and others are calculating and trying to figure out (laughs) what it is. Okay, those of you who've been married 30 years, Keep standing, if you would. Wow. Wow. Look at this. How about those of you who've been married 40 years? Keep standing. Would you keep standing? Wow. Those of you who have been married 50 years, would you keep standing? And by the way, if you're a widower or a widow, but you were married 50 years before the passing of your spouse, you keep standing. Look at this, you all. I think we ought to applaud those who've been married 50 years. or Lord, do not you? I love that. I love that. It's a it's a beautiful thing. Now, that's just going up 60 years or more. Uh, 60 years or more. Wow! Wow! Look at that. I love that. I th- uh, well, as well go up 70 years or more. I eliminated them all right there. Yeah. <laughs> We don't get married as young as they did back in biblical days. So, there you go. All right. Now, why the emphasis here today? Well, one, it's just wrapped into. It is all wrapped into the story of Jesus' birth. God's plan is for a man and a woman to get married, to have children, to build a home for the glory of God. And that's the kind of home he sent his son to And so, that's just a good thing for us to remember today. There's a second lesson here I just want to mention briefly. Look at it. It's a lesson about sexual holiness. A lesson about sexual holiness. You see, some of the difficulty that was occurring for Joseph was he knew that he was not the father of Mary's child because he knew what his commitment was. God was and how that was expressed in sexual purity, and he could could only conclude, he could only conclude that either she had been taken advantage of or uh, she had been unfaithful to him, And, and he just couldn't wrap his mind around that. Because, you see, the Bible says he was a just man. It, it means he was a God-fearing, uh, God's law-abiding man, and he conformed his life to God's expectations. I just want to say to every middle schooler and high schooler and college student and young adult today, especially, it really applies to us all, but I want to say to every every young person, you can follow the example of Joseph and Mary. God will be honored in that. Now, it will set you apart from the world, but God will be pleased if you're committed to sexual holiness. Look what 1 Thessalonians 4 says. It says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us to impurity or for impurity, but in holiness. And so, don't you see that we see in Joseph and Mary a pattern? They are exemplars of sexual holiness in their young lives. And God calls us to that same thing. Let me just stop right there and say that if you have not followed God's plan in that regard, and then it, there's a way back. You confess your sin to him. You ask for his forgiveness. And then by his grace, you renew your commitment to Christ and to walk in sexual holiness. God will be pleased with that. Here's the third lesson, write it in. I love this lesson. It's a lesson about doing the right thing in the right way. A lesson about doing the right thing in the right way. You see this in verse 19. It says, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. You see, Joseph could have caused a big commotion. He could have very publicly gone to the city gate and presented a bill of divorcement. And he could have shamed Mary in the public. He could have shamed her in the public. It wasn't often carried out at this time of history, but she and the person assumed to have been the father of this child could have been stoned according to the law. But in order to protect his own reputation, Joseph could have done that. But he said, no. He said, you know, I want to do the right thing here. I want to obey God's law, but I want to do it in the right way I want to do it with a heart of mercy. You know, as I was preparing for this week, I read my uh, 1800s mentor C.H. Spurgeon's comment on these verses. And he wrote, When we have to do a severe thing, let us choose the tenderest manner. Maybe we shall not have to do it at all. Don't you love that? Sometimes we have to do hard things. But when we do, let's do it with tenderness. Let's do it with mercy. Let's do it with confidentiality. Let's do it in a way that still allows for a path of redemption and forgiveness and a way forward. Well, you know the story Joseph learned that Mary had not been unfaithful to him. She had not been taken advantage of. uh, But instead, uh, he was told by the angel that the child in Mary was conceived by the Holy Spirit. It was miraculous. And God said to Joseph, don't be afraid to take her home as your wife. So, here's lesson number four. It is a lesson about listening it's a lesson about listening for God's guidance I love this about Joseph he's a man of character he's a man of principle he's committed to doing the thing that honors and pleases God he wants to do it in a tender and merciful way but I really love this about him that he lived in such a relationship with God that when God sent an angel in a dream to say, Joseph, I want to change your path. I want to change your direction. I want you to take Mary home. Joseph was listening, and he was willing for God to guide him. How about you? Can I ask you that question today this Christmas? Do you have a heart that can still be guided by the Lord? Can you still change your mind from what you have previously thought or said was the right thing to a new way if God guides you? You see, one of the ways we give evidences that we are following Christ is that we walk in the Spirit. We are led by the Spirit. We follow the prompting of God's Spirit. Oh, listen, I, I got to tell you, as this year comes to an end and as a new year begins, I've just been impressed personally to be listening for the prompting of God's Spirit. Now, that, that doesn't give you or me Sort of a uh, carte blanche way of saying, uh, you know, God's spirit told me to do X. Well, if what God's, we say God's spirit told us to do is contrary to his word or contrary to wisdom or contrary to good counsel, well, man, we ought to slow down. But what I'm saying is we ought to be willing to listen for God's guidance. Here's lesson number five. Write it in if you would. In this passage, we also see a reference to Isaiah's prophecy. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And so, write it in. Number five, this is a lesson about God's faithfulness to his promises. God's faithfulness to his promises. You know, as Beverly and I walk up on this Christmas, it's sort of tender for us because we look over the last year and... Her daddy passed away on Christmas Day and her mom in June. And so there have been some senses in which it's been a hard year. But you know what? God has been faithful to his promises to us. His grace has been sufficient. His spirit has comforted us and guided us. And our church family has loved us. And a year down the road, still at a tender time, we want to say the God whom we serve and worship is always faithful to his promises. He's always faithful to his promises. There's a sixth lesson here. Write it in. It's a lesson about obedience. At the end of this story, it says, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife. He took Mary to be his wife. Now, they had no relation sexually until after Jesus was born, but I just love it that when the Lord told Joseph what to do, he said, okay, I'll do that. You see, obedience, obedience is the distinguishing factor of a faithful follower of Christ. We not only hear the word, but we obey the word. Have you ever thought about what this obedience cost Joseph? What do you suspect that people around Nazareth said about Mary and him when she was found to be pregnant and he took her to be his wife. I suspect it cost Joseph his reputation. They said, yeah, right. And yet, having heard the Lord... Joseph was willing to lay down his reputation, to lay down the normal direction, to lay down how he thought it would be in order to obey the Lord. I love that lesson. And here's the main lesson. Write it in, number seven. The main lesson today is to teach us who Jesus is, who Jesus is, and what he came to do. This passage teaches us, do you see it on your outline? That Jesus' conception was miraculous, born of a virgin. You know, I'm so glad we repeated the quartet song this morning. Didn't y'all love that? That little baby was born of a virgin. Listen, that's been running through my mind over and over again. And I know the Lord is pleased with that because those who faithfully follow Christ and believe the Bible still confess that he was born of a virgin. You see, the Apostles' Creed says it. It says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, you know? Some deny the virgin birth, but it is on just the basis of a presupposition that miracles cannot occur. But if there is a God who can speak into being the universe at the word of his command, I think he has no problem in bringing a child into this world, virgin born. Do you? I think he has no problem. Jesus' conception was miraculous, born of a virgin. What does that mean? Look at the second bullet. Jesus was fully human and fully God. He was Emmanuel, God with us. And so this passage is teaching us who Jesus is. Born of a virgin, miraculously conceived, fully human, fully God. Why is that important? Fully human, he could be our representative. Fully God, he could be our savior. And so, the third bullet, write it in. This passage came to, uh, uh, is to teach us that Jesus came to save us from our sins. In fact, the angel said, she will bear a son You'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And name Jesus, it's a Greek form of the Old Testament name Joshua, which means Yahweh saves, God saves. And when we worship in the name of Jesus, we're confessing he's our Savior and Lord. So now look right up here as we finish up this morning. I hope there's been some encouragement and some challenge in these seven lessons from the Christmas story. And I have a question for you as we wrap up. And that is, are you trusting and following Jesus this Christmas? You know, I love, uh, I love our worship on these Sundays around the holidays because... It's school break and families are traveling and some are in town and out of town. We can all get together in one service. I love that. I also love it because this week, next week, and the week after, we'll have guests and relatives and friends in town and sometimes they come to church with us. Sometimes it's a great time just to invite somebody we love. Say, hey, come go with us. It's going to be one great service today. And I wonder if you're here today, and you've heard this story again, and God has spoken to you, and he's calling you by his spirit, I wonder if this wouldn't be the day, sitting right where you are, when you say yes. Yes, Lord, I'll follow you. I'm really sorry for my sins sorry for my waywardness would you please forgive me I believe not only did you send Jesus to be born of a virgin but to die on the cross pay the penalty for my sin and so I put my trust in him I receive him I'm going to lead us in a prayer and when I pray I hope you'll make that commitment or renew that commitment to Christ let's pray together now Father, thank you so much for allowing us to listen and learn and stand in awe of what you did when you sent your son, virgin born, into the earth to be our savior. And Father, I pray for a boy or a girl or a teenager, young adult, a middle-aged adult. A empty nester, a senior adult. I don't know who you're calling, but Lord, I pray right now that some in this room would say yes to you. Just call out and say, oh, Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me. I put my trust in you now. I received Jesus, and I want to follow him as my Savior and Lord. Or maybe you've drifted away and... This Christmas is a time to come home. You just pray and say, Lord, please forgive my waywardness. I want to come home. I want to follow Jesus with my whole heart again. Lord, hear these prayers and respond to them, I pray. And I pray, uh, Heavenly Father, that you would be glorified in us as we are satisfied in you this Christmas. And we offer this prayer.